Thank you so much, Daniel and Leslie. We sure do appreciate that. I want you to take your Bible this morning and turn to two passages, if you would. The book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Bible, chapter 8, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And then also, if you could locate Judges chapter 2. They're, they're close together, Deuteronomy chapter 8, and then Deuteronomy, and then Joshua, and then Judges Two books after that, Deuteronomy 8, and then Judges chapter 2. If I were to ask you to uh, write down, give you a little bit of time to think about it, you don't have to do this, but just to kind of pick your mind, write down the most important decision uh, you've ever made as a Christian. Uh, what would that be? The most important decision you've ever made as a Christian. For me, it would be to have a, a daily time alone with the Lord. And that particular time has kind of morphed through the years according to my needs. And as I've grown in the Lord, uh, to know how to uh, do that and, and know what I needed at what stage of life I'm in. But hands down, there's no doubt that when I began to spend time with the Lord, and I decided to do that in July... Of two, I'm sorry, July of 1975. At the core of this, this is one thing that has never changed. It's just reading the Bible. It's the most important spiritual discipline you will ever have. When I was a teenager, I got a hold of uh, a little devotional diary that Word of Life put out called uh, Quiet Time Diary. And I use that. It's very basic. It's very simple. But it accomplished two things for me. Number one, it, it gave me a discipline, a habit of spending time with God. So every day I was accountable to a day and that I knew that I had to, to fill that paper out. That that was important for me. And, and it kind of dug a groove in my life that this is what I'm supposed to do. That was important. But the second thing was just as important is that it taught me to look for something. And when you're looking for something in your time alone with the Lord, it's not just looking for information. Sometimes when we teach people to spend time with God, they're, they're just looking for information. You're not looking for information to debate people and to argue points or even to learn about God. You're looking for information, if you will, so that you can love God, to know God. And so I was looking for bread for my soul. Uh, someone asked Tom Malone, he, he preached here many years ago, pastored a church outside of Detroit, Michigan. They said, uh, Dr. Malone, how much do you read the Bible? When you read the Bible, how much of the Bible do you read? And I love what he said. He said, I read it till my heart burns. I love that answer. I read it until my heart burns. You see, some of us may read it a certain amount of time, but, but our heart doesn't burn. Our heart doesn't speak to us. Remember on the road to Emmaus, I think it was in Luke chapter 24, when Jesus saw those disciples. And the Bible says, as they spoke to their friends later, they said, our hearts burned as he spoke to us about the scriptures and he revealed himself. And our hearts ought to burn when we see Jesus and the Scriptures. 
And so for me, easily, the most important decision I ever made as a child of God was to spend time with the Lord Jesus in the Word of God. Now, as your pastor through the years, supposedly, probably from day one, has been this emphasis, uh, even this, this little phrase that I've used from a youth pastor until now, because I have a conviction about it, because every word is weighted, every word is important, to have a meaningful time alone with the Lord. You've heard me say that over, besides the name of Jesus, the name of God, probably any, more than anything else, to have a meaningful time alone with the Lord. That is our ultimate priority. You see, if we're not doing that, that, that is the engine, if you will, that, that flows from us so that we can do everything else that God has called us to do. We cannot uh, worship Him if we don't spend time with Him, if we don't learn of Him. We don't know His character. We don't know His heart. We cannot evangelize if we don't know the gospel, if we don't love the person of Christ. We're not, we're not motivated to tell people about Him. And it goes on and on. We can't pray effectively if we don't know the promises. You see, your, your time alone with the Lord is so significant. It is the cornerstone. It is a foundation to everything else that you do in your Christian walk. Now, don't you want to improve in this area? Is there anything that you and I can do that would help us to, to make this time alone with God more warm? Uh, uh, something that we could look forward to, something that would make our hearts burn. And I've been talking to you about this. I want to do that again this morning on how to, how to cultivate your walk with God. I love that phrase, your walk with God. How do you cultivate that? Uh, this is for new Christians. It's for people that have been walking with the Lord for a long time. I read this passage back when uh, the, the virus began to be reported and people began to be afraid. And I read through the, the chapter during my time alone with the Lord. And God spoke to me so deeply about it just for my own needs. And as I began to meditate upon it and apply it to my life, I knew that uh, I need to share some things with our church about it. And there's three ways to cultivate your time alone with the Lord here. We'll just look at uh, uh, Two, and really not in, in depth this morning, but something that will help you. This will help you. Deuteronomy chapter 8, look at verse 1. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And these are three ways. Uh, they're not techniques. They're, they're ways that can stoke the fire in your heart. They, they were fixing to go into a new era. Moses couldn't go with them. And so he's an old man. He's 120 years old now. He's been walking with God for a long time. He, he's equipping them as Israel, the nation's about to go into the promised land. The first way you 
you cultivate your time alone with the Lord is this walk of obedience. is obedience to God. Notice in verse 1, the Bible says, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall you observe to do. All the commandments. You see, the secret to success is obedience. It's very simple. Just do what God tells you to do. All the commandments. Everything that He tells you to do. Now, who among us does that? I don't know that everybody does that consistently. I don't. But I want to get better at it. And if I want to walk closely to the Lord and and I want my walk with God to to blossom and to grow, then, then I need to do what He tells me to do. All, the Bible says, all the commandments shall you observe to do. That's why... When you read the Bible, when you're having your time alone with the Lord, your quiet time, whatever you call it, that when God commands you to do something or He commands you not to do something, that you just don't study that and mark it and know the address, the the book, chapter, and verse. But you apply that to your heart and you pray and say, God, help me not to do that or help me to start that in my life. And if you have to write it down, write it down. And, And you walk with God. With that thought that day, God, help me, help me to apply this. Help me to stop treating people this way or start treating people this way. Help me to apply this. Joshua, as soon as they got into the promised land, in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, this was, the Bible says there, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. In other words, you're, you're supposed to think about it so much that, that you're, you're, you're talking to yourself about it. That's what meditation is. It's not just memorizing the Bible. It's, it's talking to yourself about it. It's not departing out, out of your mouth. And the idea that you're, you're talking to yourself about the Scriptures. But thou shalt meditate therein, that is the Word of God, day and night. That thou mayest, here it is again, what we just saw in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. All that, you see, that's the secret of success. Notice what it will do for us. For then, that is after we have uh, thought about it, we meditated upon it with a view to obedience. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. You want to have a prosperous marriage? You want to have a prosperous business? You want to have a prosperous church? We've got to obey God in everything. When He reveals something to you, obey it. And then, that's a conditional term, and then, the only time the word success is used in the Bible is here. Then thou shalt have good success. Not just success, but good success. God says, I will crown your efforts with success. Now, it may not be the world's success. He may not give you a lot of money. He may and want you to be a steward of it for the kingdom of God. But He will crown you with good success when you walk in obedience to Him. And this, this will create warmth in your walk with God. I think it was Charles Finney that said revival is, comes to you when you begin to Walk in, in a new act of obedience. A new act of obedience. That's revival. I believe that. A.W. Tozer said this. The true follower of Christ will not ask. If I embrace this truth, what will it cost me? Rather, he will say, this is truth. 
God help me to walk in it, let come what may. And as you read the Word of God, in your time alone with the Lord, in your walk with God, and the Holy Spirit prompts you with something, oh, what will this cost me if I witness to this man? Am I going to be embarrassed? You're, you're, that's not the question. The question is, is God help me to walk in it, let come what may, or, or there's going to be consequences in his life, and I lose the blessing of God upon my life. I'll not be successful. I'll not be prosperous. The conditions are given to us here in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Galatians 5 and verse 16, Paul wrote the churches in Galatians said this, I say then, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. That's what he's asking us to do every day, to follow his promptings. Old story, I haven't told it here in a long time. Dr. Robertson told it, I'll never forget when he told it. He was preaching at a campground up north. And uh, he just preached on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It was one of his favorite themes. And as he told the story, he had finished the sermon. He was going back to his cabin, a little bit dark. And uh, somebody came up to him as he was going back to his cabin. And they said, Dr. Robertson, that was a good message tonight. He said, well, thank you. He said, but I have a question for you. Remember what he talked about, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Dr. Robertson said, yes, what is it? He said, are you filled with the Holy Spirit right now? And Dr. Robertson told us at that time, he said, I'm not going to tell you what I told him, but he said it was a good question. It was a fair question. And then he turned it around on us and he said, are you filled with the Holy Spirit right now? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit right now? Were you filled with the Holy Spirit this morning, this past week? I think sometimes we go to church and we don't get anything out of it. And sometimes we think something's wrong with the service. Or we think something's wrong with the preaching. And if you read the book of Revelation, when, when Christ gives the message to the messengers, to the angels of the church, the pastors of the church, and they're to give that message to their people, you know what he says in there? He says... He that let him that hath an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit saith. Some people, when they come to church, they can't hear the Spirit speaking because they're not filled with the Spirit of God. They don't have an ear to hear. And you cannot receive spiritual things in a natural state or in a carnal state. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 teach us that. If you want to cultivate your walk with God, walk in obedience. Do what He tells you to do. Secondly, if you want to walk in obedience, your walk of obedience is remembering God. This is what I want to talk to you about this morning. Remembering God. Moses often spoke to the people about the importance of remembering. Even in this chapter. If you read the book of Deuteronomy, one of the phrases you'll see often is to forget not and to remember, to remember. Notice in verse 2, we read it. And thou shalt remember. This is about their walk as they go in. He said, now now remember, which is the opposite. Don't forget, but remember. Move down to verse 11. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping His commandments. Don't forget to obey Him. We've already talked about that. 
Remember to obey. Again, chapter 8 and verse 18, same chapter. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He that giveth thee power to get wealth. Remember the goodness of God in your life. Remember that He's your source. Are things thin financially? Have you been laid off? Remember remember that God is your source, not your job. It's certainly not the government. God is our source. Remember that. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 15, Moses said, same book, and remember that thou wast, speaking to his people, a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Remember who you were and what God did for you. You you were in bondage to sin, and God delivered you through the cross of Christ. The resurrection of Christ. Remember who you were. Psalm 40 says, remember from the pit from whence you were hewn. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 18. Thou shalt not be afraid of them, but shalt remember, but shalt well remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. Remember what God has done in the past. Remember how God took care of you in the past. Remember these things. I talked to you a little bit about this last week. Some people just excuse this away and say, well, I just don't have a good memory. Well, you better get one. And some people remember things better, but you better cultivate a memory because this is part of your walk with God. I'll show you how to do that in just a moment a little bit. Again, Deuteronomy 9. Have you seen that these are all just around the locale? It's all over the book. I'm just giving you some... Examples. Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 7. Remember and forget not how thou provokest the Lord thy God to wrath in the wilderness. And he talks about the rebellion and he says, remember God's chastening hand. When when you're getting out of line, remember what happened the last time? God hasn't changed. Remember And then one more just to give it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 15. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Again, remember who you were, what God has done for you. Remembering is a part of your walk with God. Here's what he's saying. Remember, remember. Now, what are some specific things some specific areas he gives here in the text in Deuteronomy 8 that we are to remember. I just want to give you one today because if we're to walk close to the Lord, we're supposed to remember some things, but not just, well, I'll remember my grocery list. I'll just cultivate my memory. No, there's some specific things he wants us to remember. Notice in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2. He says, remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. I want you to notice the time and the place where he led them. He led them in the wilderness for 40 years. Remember he had chastened them. 
And those that were over 40, they never saw the promised land. They died in the wilderness. And there they were in the wilderness, oppressive heat, stung by the sand and the windstorms, with desert creatures, incredibly hot during the day. And believe this or not, you can study this at night. It's, it's very cold in the desert, extremely hot in the day and very cold at night. Lost parents and grandparents dying. And the Bible here says, God, all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Here's what he's saying. During your most difficult times, I had my eye on you and I was leading you. I was watching you. I was watching over you. I was, I was leading you even if you didn't see it. Here's the idea of what he's saying. Don't focus on your problems. If you're going to remember something, don't remember. Yeah, that was a bad year. Well, I remember this. Remember how God led you. Now, some of you are going to have to think about this. But you're, you're either going to remember um, the blessing. You remember the goodness of God. You're going to focus on God. Or you're going to focus on the problem. And what God does is he will lead you through the wilderness. Notice the text again. Remember all the way, all the way, which the Lord God led thee, all the way. I've taught you this before, but this is such an important word. The word way there, every word in in the word of God is important. All the way. What does the word way mean? The word way there also has the idea of a highway. It, it's a journey, a course of life. It has the idea of, of, of what road, what highway you're taking. Of the entire journey, all the way, what highway are you on? And here's what he's saying. Sometimes the highway's not smooth. Sometimes it's not difficult. Sometimes there's pain. Sometimes there's suffering. Sometimes there's loss. But he's saying, I led you all the way. I led you. Remember... By day, the, the pillar of cloud. Some Bible teachers believe that, that God gave them that cloud to provide them some shade. Some. Perhaps he did. I wouldn't doubt it because of his goodness. But by all means, he used that cloud to, to guide them. There was a, a shape like a pillar. We're not sure what it looked like. I've seen some drawings, what people thought it looked like. But it was a, to be all of those millions of Jews in the wilderness... The pillar guided them for 40 years. And, and when it moved, they moved. When it stopped, they stayed. Whatever the pillar did, they followed the pillar. And by night, it was a pillar of fire. It changed. And again, some Bible teachers, because of cold at night, they surmise that perhaps God gave, because of his good heart, that God gave them the fire to, to warm them in the evening. And whenever the fire moved, they moved. And when the pillar of fire stayed, they stayed. Remember, all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. God will lead you in the wilderness. Are you in the wilderness this morning? Are you going through a hard time? Maybe you've been going through a hard season, a hard year, a hard couple of years. 
It's true, the, the song we sing, my Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. When He stops, I stop. When He goes, I go. Strength for today is mine all the way, and all that I need for tomorrow. My Lord knows the way. I don't know the way. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I need to do is to follow. Where God guides, He provides. Where He leads, He will feed. That's not mine to worry about. When you're in the wilderness, sometimes you can't see. Sometimes you're in a fog. I've been there. You don't know what to do, even for the next step. God will guide you in your wilderness days. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, and verse 7, he reminds them, Moses reminds them of God's guidance, of His goodness in the past, so that they can have confidence in the present. Remember the past? Deuteronomy 2, 7, For the Lord thy God hath blessed thee and all the works of thy hand. He, listen, He knoweth thy walking through this great wilderness. You're walking with God, but you're walking in a wilderness. You have His attention. He knows about it. You see, sometimes walking with God is walking in suffering. But He's with you. He knows. These 40 years, thy God hath been with thee. He's present with you. He not only knows about it, but He's with you. You may not can feel Him. You may feel alienated from you, but He's with you. Thou hast lacked nothing. He has given you everything that you need. It may not be what you want, but it's what you need. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 5, Moses told them about what God did. He said, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Notice this, your clothes are not waxing old upon you. And thy shoe, singular, singular, is not waxing old upon thy foot. He reminds them of God's leadership, of of His direction, and His provision for them. His supernatural provision. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you take it literally, and I don't know of any other way to take it, it means this, that as their foot grew, their shoe grew. And as they grew, their clothes grew. And their clothes did not wear out for 40 years. Now, you say, you're going to push back. Some of you say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, I believe the Bible. And here's what God says. God says, I have provided for you in the wilderness. Now, watch this. Why is Moses telling them all of this as they're about to go in the promise? Now, remember, I'm not going in with you. Remember what I did? Because I can do it over there. You can't remember these things if you don't write them down. When I was a boy taking piano and then I got a little better at it, my mom would go out to music stores and she would buy me sheet music and sometimes buy me books with songs in them. And I learned a lot of songs. I learned uh, 
different chords, and, and I played just by myself sometimes for hours. And I really didn't practice. I was not very disciplined at practice, but I just loved to play the piano. And I played it for myself. That old piano that my mom and dad bought for me is in my living room. They bought it on sale, that great sacrifice to them. And it's very sacred to me for that purpose. Not just that I played it when I was nine years old. But because of what, what it represents. And um, in one of those books that she bought me, there was a song that I learned. And I was drawn to, to the melody and, and to the chord structure. But especially to the words. It's one of my favorite songs. The man that wrote it has written over a thousand songs, perhaps two thousand songs. It's one of Tim's favorite songs. We've done it, done this song together often. I want to read the words to you if you would let me this morning. Someday life's journey will be over and I shall reach that distant shore. But I'll sing while entering heaven's door. Jesus led me all the way. If God should let me there review. The winding paths of earth I knew. It would be proven clear and true. That Jesus led me all the way. And hitherto this point. My Lord has led, and today He guides each step I tread. And so in heaven it will be said, Jesus led me all the way. Jesus led me all the way, led me step by step each day. I will tell the saints and angels as I lay my burden down. Jesus led me all the way. When I uh, was a senior in high school, I knew that God wanted me to do some kind of ministry. I wasn't sure. I had a rough idea, but I wasn't sure. I visited two Christian colleges. I thought about this for hours. I couldn't sleep last night, not because I was restless, but because I was so happy. I'd gone over these notes. And uh, I visited uh, Tennessee Temple College at the time. My, my third year it became Tennessee Temple University. But it was Tennessee Temple College when I went. And uh, God was on that place. My second year, when I was a sophomore, a friend of mine saw me. I was doing some business at a place. And within the providence of God... He said, hey, Rick, he said, uh, my brother has a chapel. These were little tiny churches. He said he needs some help. He said he needs a piano player and somebody to work with young people. Uh, would, you, would you consider helping him? I owed so much to my brother. I didn't want to say yes, but I owed so much to my buddy. I said, yes, sir. Uh, here's my number. He can call me. He called me on the dorm floor. We had one phone on the floor. He called me on the floor. His brother, who I'd never met, I knew of him. 
The next Sunday, he picked me up. I went and I played the piano. We went out to Tony's Drive-In Restaurant after it was over. and Tommy and Cherry, he was a pastor. And Wally and Kathy, he was the assistant pastor of a little church. And they kind of cornered me and said, we, we, we need somebody. Would you come help us? And I couldn't say no. I said, yes, I will. And I came back, and, and in that church was Paula. And God led me to Chattanooga. And led me in the place where I was doing business. I had my friend in there at the same time. To take me to a little church to meet my wife. I was standing in Radio Sack at my job on Brainerd Road. In February, the phone rang, and it was a pastor in Madison, Alabama, at Wahhabi Baptist Church. He introduced himself. He said, uh, Rick, this is Sonny Kirk. I, I met you one time. I said, I remember you. You were on campus here. Met you. He said, I need somebody to work with the teenagers, and I need somebody to help with our music program. Would you consider coming out there? I played the piano out there before, and I knew a little bit about the church. I said, yes, sir. I considered that. I went down there. Kevin Thomas was in that youth ministry. Alan Smith, who's been to, he was a member here. Others. A blessed time. In November of 1980, I was watching on Monday night. I was watching Monday night football. The Oakland Raiders were playing. I was at my grandmother's house. We were already out of school. The phone rang. It was a pastor up in Alexandria, Virginia, a friend. Dave said, Rick, uh, I'd like for you to come up here and work with our young people and help with our music program. Would you come up here? I've got Jerry Falwell in a couple weeks at a banquet and I'd like to talk to you and meet our men. Would you consider that? And I said, sure, I would consider that. I went up there and spent wonderful years, and God invested in my life. I learned things from some wonderful mentors. In August of 1984, the pastor of this church called my office up in Alexandria, Virginia. And he said, Rick, we, I didn't, I've never heard of, never heard of the church. He said, we have a Christian school and our sixth grade teacher is gone. This is August. And we need a sixth grade teacher. We need somebody to help with the teenager in our church. Would you, would you consider that? And I said, well, I'm really not, I'm really not cut out for, to, to be a teacher in a school. And not only that, it, it's not good for the youth pastor to be, to teach kids in the school. For obvious reasons. He said, would you pray about it? Well, that's hard to say no. I mean, I said, well, yes, sir. I hung up the phone. I said, God, thank you that you're not leading me to this church. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm serious. That's what I prayed. I had no burden, no leadership. He called me back in January. He said, look, he said, I filled that position in school. But I still need somebody to work with our kids. He said, I got a banquet here at, for our Christian school kids. Would you come and speak at it? I said, well, 
I, I guess. Let me talk to my pastor and see if I can work that out. And, uh, and I did. In March of 1985, we came here to work with our young people, precious kids. Jesus has led me all the way. There's so much more to those stories. I don't have time. And in my own time here, my own wilderness days, there were some tough times here financially. I remember after I became the pastor, and financially it was hard, very hard. You, you cannot understand having meetings with presidents of banks and, and they got you over the barrel. I don't mean one meeting, I mean meeting a lot. Intimidated, ulcers, lack of sleep. And in my wildernesses, even in this past decade, while God had his eye on me, he would also lead, he would also lead people, many of them in this room. He would lead people to me. To, to carry me and love me and encourage me. God sent them. God's leading you too. He, he has led you all the way in your wilderness. But we need reminders. We need reminders because we forget. You ever gone into a restaurant? This happens a lot. You're paying for your food, and right over the head of the guy that's ringing you up, there's a, a little small plaque. And inside of it, there's a dollar bill inside of some glass. I remember the first time this happened, I, many, many, many decades ago, I didn't know what that was. I said, what's, what's the dollar bill for? And the guy said, that's the first dollar ever made here. Now, sometimes, especially mom and pop stores, you'll, you'll see that around. Now, it's only a dollar. But those mom and pop stores, those owners, it's interesting. The next generation takes it down sometimes. Or if they sell it, they take it down. But the founders of the store, they don't take it down. Because they remember when they barely made inventory, they barely made payroll. And that dollar bill speaks to them. It has a testimony. When God delivered Israel from Egypt, He used the Passover and they instituted a, a memorial, an annual memorial in the month of October. And in Exodus chapter 20, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 12 and verse 26. The Bible says, it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, what mean ye by this service? What mean ye by this service? And what does that mean? Your, your kids are going to ask, what, what does this symbol mean? You know, good, good parents, good parents do this is they, they teach your kids principles. Good parents teach your kids principles. Great parents teach principles and tell stories.
When you leave here, some people say, why do you tell stories? Because that's what you remember. You remember the story that is clothed around the principle. One of the things I do when I preach, I give you a principle for your head. And I give you a picture for your heart. You remember the picture. And I don't have time to go into the reasons why that is true. You need to teach your kids principles, but it doesn't stop there. You need to give them pictures. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas. Be a storyteller to your kids of your past. Learn to tell stories often, frequently. In Joshua chapter 4, they had just crossed the promised land. They crossed the Jordan River. I've been there where this happened approximately. In Joshua chapter 4, this is one of the very first things Joshua did. Joshua 4.1. It came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe of man. So twelve men represented twelve tribes. And command them, saying, Take ye hence out of the midst of Jordan, because it was dry. The waters were being held back, just like they did the Red Sea. Out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, because that's where the water stopped when the priest's feet went in. Twelve stones... And you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe of man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. Now, what does a sign do? It points to something else. So this is not the end all. The stones are a sign. They're pointing to something else. That when your children ask their fathers, do you have signs in your home? Do you have memorials in your home? That when your children ask their fathers in time to come, what mean ye by these stones? Daddy, what does this picture mean? Who is this? Why is this in your Bible? Why is this important to you? Why is this on your desk? It doesn't match anything. What mean ye by these stones? And ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial. That's the root word of memory. Shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. Listen, every generation needs some memorials. I have memorials. And my kids need to get some memorials for their kids. And my kids need to be telling stories to their kids. The baton has to be passed off. But you grandmas and grandpas and you moms and dads, it's not enough to have your kids in church. It's not even enough to teach them principles. Oh, that's, we're commanded to do that, but we're also commanded to tell them stories. We are commanded to leave memorials for them. What does this mean? And it's to prompt a story. 
Let me tell you about that, son. I want you to look in your Bible at Judges chapter 2, if you would. Judges chapter 2, look at verse 6, if you would. After they had conquered the other people in the new land there, Judges 2, 6, and when Joshua had led the people, let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And pay attention to this. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders had outlived Joshua. Now, you may want to underline this. Who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance. Verse 10. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. Notice that generation. That generation. I remember I was having a conversation to Price Harris one day. Price is, I think, 80 years old. He said, Brother Rick, I'm just a dinosaur now. The churches don't want to have me in. When Matthews told me, he said, Rick, I, churches don't want me in. I'm just old. They're not hip. And also all that generation were gathered under their fathers. But there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Oh, they, they, they knew the points. They knew the theology, but they didn't know the works. They didn't know the God and the power of God. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Listen, you've got to reach, and it's not the church's job. We can help you. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, even aunts and uncles. It's our job to impact our generation. The next generation. John Phillips made this sober statement. He said, the first generation has convictions. The second generation, the conviction has softened to a belief. And the third generation, the belief becomes an opinion. I've seen that happen before my eyes. We don't have a lot of convictions today. We have people with opinions and they're so easily swayed. I read a book years ago. The idea of the book is why people, kids, young people are leaving the church. And I agreed with some of it, but not all of it. Kind of the thesis of the book is, is we need to teach our kids apologetics. They need to be able to answer uh, creation versus evolution and, and things like this. I think there's a basis for that. I do. But I'm going to step on some thin ice here. I think it's overstated. I think when, you, when our kids see the power of God in our lives, and they know that God is real, and they see money come, a precise amount of money come in the mail, 
and they see God come through and they know that He's real, that is an apologetic unto itself. And if they know the apologetic in their head, but they don't know the God that does those things in their heart, they're going to leave anyway because it's not fresh and it's not real. I'm almost finished. Please stay with me. In 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 10, And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered a great thunder. He brought a storm. The Philistines were great warriors. They had iron in their weapons. They were the only people in that area that did that. They were brutal. And the Lord caused a storm to come on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. That means he confused them to the place that they were destroyed. And they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, and they smote them until they came under Bethkar. Now watch what Samuel did. This is so biblical. I'm just giving you a, a few illustrations. Then Samuel took a stone, and he set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer. You know the song? Come thou fount of every blessing. One of the verses says, Here I raise mine Ebenezer. Do you know what recent hymn books have done? They've taken that line out. It comes from this passage. It's the only place it's used. And do you know why? I don't want to be too heavy-handed on this, but here's why. Because people don't know their Bible. And they say, well, when we sing that, people don't know what it means. Well, explain it. It's a precious truth. Well, here's what we do is we just throw stuff out because, because people are shallow. And it's a powerful truth. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin and called the name of it Ebenezer. You know what the word Ebenezer means? Stone of help. And what he did is he put up this stone and he called it the stone of help. And here's how he addressed his people saying, Hitherto has the Lord helped us. Hitherto, up until now, he's helped us. He, he, he discomposed comforted and destroyed the Philistines. He did then and he will now and he will in the future. This is our Ebenezer. Do you have stones of help in your home? Do you have an Ebenezer or two or three or four? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You've got to recall those and pass them on to your children and your grandchildren. Remember when... um, well, my mom went to heaven, and uh, we came into. She passed away in surgery. We came in by her body. She had already departed. As you know, some of you have done that. It was a very difficult thing. Cause that's the only part of her we had known, and we were just smitten with grief. Still are, to be honest with you. And I said, I made a statement. I wasn't even thinking of it. It just came out of me. But I think I just said it to myself. I said, a lot of history has gone away from us. A lot of history has gone away from us. You young people that are here today, 
your mom and dad, your grandma and grandpa, they have some history. You young couples, your parents and your grandparents, they have some history. Inquire about it. Ask some questions. My mom and even my dad, they never waited for us to ask questions. They just, they told us about their conversion experience. Until I, I learned it often. They told us how God provided for them. How they began to tie. How they began to give faith promise offerings. They told us. I want to tell you something. Listen, those of you that are younger, even if you're, even if you're my age, perhaps your parents are still living. Listen to me. One day you'll wish you had. One day you'll wish you had. My kids, my mom's grandkids, they they said, "I'm glad Nana used to talk to us." And we go to her house, and she would tell us stories. I was riding my dad one day, and Daddy always liked. We'd always listen to music. Sometimes we talk about music, and sometimes we, he'd tell me stories. We drove by the house I grew up in, off of uh, Trina Boulevard, as you go toward Holmes, over the overpass at the bottom of the hill, on the left. It used to be on Eighth Street, but now it's called Trina Boulevard. It used to be a greenhouse, but now it's, it's kind of a powder Carolina blue. It's ever bit of. 600 square feet, maybe not that much. Two very small bedrooms. A very, very small living room, about half half the size of this pulpit area. A very small kitchen. We didn't have a lot. My brother was born. My sister and I shared a bedroom. Nothing wrong with that, not a problem. But when Hoss came along, we needed more. We moved to another place. That house, is, that house is important to me. I lived there till I was five. I had birthday parties there. I had friends there. I played games there. I pointed the house out. I said, Dad, I really had a good time there. Daddy said, let me tell you a story. He said, son, he said, I know a lot of people wonder why I kept Jim around. You know who Jim was? Jim was a man that Worked for my dad. He's a little bit gruff. Jim treated me like a son. But he's a little bit gruff. One of the names for daddy's business was Alabama Welding and Auto Parts. Now, he did a lot more than that, but it was too long to put in there. So he just called it Alabama Welding and Auto Parts. So when I was up the shop, I answered Alabama Welding and Auto Parts, and I put it through to wherever it needed to go. When Jim answered the phone, he go, Welding. And, you know, you're calling in for something. That's not the best way to say it. He was, he was not personality-wise, but he was like Goober on, on Andy Griffith. He always had these comic books. And I'd go up there, and he said, you want some comic books? And give them to me. Daddy said, some people wonder why I keep Jim around. Jim, all of my life, lived at Daddy's shop. He, he stayed at two places. Dad did the first shop. He lived in the back. The second place he lived in a trailer. And they were friends. Daddy said, people wonder why I keep Jim around. He said, one day, Jim was coming down this road like we are right now. And Jim looked over there and he saw a, a city truck parked by our house. 
and nobody was home. And he turned around and he went by and he, what's the city doing there? He said, can I help you? He said, yeah. He said, we're turning the power off here because the bill hadn't been paid. Jim said, no, you're not. He said, well, the, the bill's got to be paid. And this is in, you know, the late 50s, early 60s, and things were a little bit different then. Jim said, how much is it? And he wrote the man a check. And he paid our power bill on the spot. My dad knew it had been paid because he was trying to get it together to pay for it, but he didn't know how it was paid. And he went through some channels. He found out that his friend, who never told him, he found out that his friend had paid the bill. Well, my daddy, are you listening? When my daddy told me that story, it further cemented things I'd already seen that I learned about loyalty. You be loyal to your friends. I remember when Jim died and they called me up there and I saw him laying on the couch still and daddy died in his sleep. He had died during the night. Daddy was on a trip. I called him up and I said, Dad, he answered the phone. I said, Daddy, I, I got some tough news for you. He said, son, what is it? And I said, Daddy, Jim died early this morning sometime. And he had a kind of a soft gag in his voice. And I could tell he was crying while he was driving the bus. Listen, my dad told me a story. And my daddy's been gone for 12 years, but that story lives with me. And I'm a better friend. Not because of a principle, but because of a story. Psalm 44 and verse 1. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days. Psalm 71 and verse 18. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that has come. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 17 and 18. Moses encouraged them. He said, look, when you're fearful, if thou shalt say in thine heart, these nations, remember they were going into battle, are more than I. How can I dispossess them? Thou shalt not be afraid of them. And here's how you do it. Thou shalt well remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and to all Egypt. Thinking about what God has done will help deal with your fear. How has God led with you in your wilderness early in your marriage? Your college days as a child? Put these things down. It will bring warmth to your walk with God. Tell your kids. Tell your grandkids. Psalm 77 verses 11 and 12. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of thy work and talk of thy doings. Keep a journal. It doesn't need to be every day, but a gratitude journal, a blessings journal. Just write things down. Date it and just write what happened. Maybe even bullet points, enough to recall jog your memory. Tuck that thing away. 
I have, I have scores of things on my computer hard drives. I've told my kids, I said, look, don't you let them do anything on my computer drives. There's stuff on there for you. Sometimes I'll read things to Paul and he said, oh, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. Oh, I remember. I forgot about that. Oh, but Daddy wrote it down. Daddy wrote it down for you. God can't lead you if you've never been saved. You're here this morning. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You've never been born again. You need Him to lead you through the wilderness. Begin today to pass it on to others. I want to give you some homework, three things. I'll let you go. Number one, this week, write out your salvation testimony. If you've never done that, write out your salvation testimony. It may take some time. Do it. It's important. Write it out. Sit down. What I was like before I got saved, how I got saved, and the change Christ has brought in my life. Start there, and then you can fill in some details. Write out your salvation testimony. Number two, think of times that God has led you. And don't forget the hard times. Not just in the hard times, but times God led you. And include the hard times. And write these down. Not just how you got saved, but as the text here says in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2, how that God has led you. And then number three, start sharing these with your children and your grandchildren. And ask your parents about such times. Papa, when did you get saved? Papa, how did God help, help you and Grandma? Daddy, what was some tough times you faced? So well, I've never asked them to ask them. Went to Arkansas, my mom. We drove around for one day. And she said, this is, this is where I live. There was no house there. This is where we went to church. This is the post office where my daddy saw the, the job. Griffithville, Arkansas. It's a little tiny place in Washington, D.C., where he got his job. This is how we got to Huntsville, Rick. And we spent all day. I took some pictures. She enjoyed it, but I, I took snapshots in my mind. I took pictures, but I remember I may never be back here again. I wasn't haphazard. I was focused, laser-focused. I'm so glad I did. Heavenly Father, I pray as we leave today that you would help us be people of remembrance. Lord, I know how this warms my heart when I just take the time to think about how you've been good to me and how you've led me. You protected me. All the blessings I have that I never would have had had you not led me. As that song says, Lord, you led me all the way, step by step each day. And Lord, you're still leading me, even in the wilderness days, when I, I couldn't feel you and I couldn't see you. You were leading me. I pray that my brothers and sisters here would would be about the business now of uh, 
transcribing some of these things to warm their heart, to cultivate their walk, to deepen their love for you, and also to have some tools to pass on so that their kids would have convictions and not beliefs and not opinions. Oh, God, have mercy on us. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much.